0: Let us pray together. Dear God, we thank you and we praise you for the way that you have wired our hearts and minds with a love for story. We soon forget the main points of a sermon. Even the preacher does. But we are slow and almost never forget a good story. So by the power of your Holy Spirit now, may your story, your good story, take hold of us in some new way. This story with Jesus at its center. And like Martha and like Mary, may we find our place in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Jewish Passover is fast approaching. And great crowds of pilgrims from around the Mediterranean are streaming into Jerusalem, about to swell its population from the size of Lancaster, way up into the hundreds of thousands. They are coming to celebrate how God has liberated their people 1,500 years earlier from their cruel slavery to the empire of Egypt. And many are now waiting for a Messiah to come set them free from yet another brutal empire. This one centered in Rome. Jesus and His disciples are among these crowds that are slowly converging upon Jerusalem. And six days before the Passover, they stop in the little village of Bethany just two miles outside the city walls to visit Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Beloved friends with whom they have enjoyed a special connection, a special intimacy. You see, for the past three years, amidst a growing storm of religious threats and controversy from Jerusalem, their home in Bethany has been a safe haven for friendship, prayer, conversation, and my goodness, enjoying Martha's out-of-this-world cooking. And today, like usual, Jesus and His disciples have spent the whole day... (laughs) anticipating and talking about what Martha's going to be cooking for them tonight. But for Martha, there's a deeper reason for tonight's special dinner than just her usual amazing hospitality. You see, Jesus has just raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And during that tumultuous experience, Martha surprised herself and just about everybody else by blurting out to Jesus that He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Anointed One in Hebrew. And so today, Martha has gone all out. Thrown herself into making this Feast of gratitude for Jesus. She's been working all day long to fill her home with the fragrance of her cooking and her love. She's been waiting all day long to see Jesus' eyes light up when he first walks in the door, and she's not disappointed. Nor are Jesus and his disciples disappointed either when she spreads out before them her mouth watering feast of love. Roasted lamb sprinkled with ground peppercorns, garlic, and pine nuts. Eggplant slices fried in olive oil and topped with goat cheese and basil zucchini and grape leaves stuffed with rice and fresh dill and thickened yogurt anybody hungry yet the table conversation tonight soon turns intense and animated Jesus' raising of Lazarus has caused all hell to break loose in Jerusalem. The city's religious leaders have been anxiously meeting together, terrified that if folks keep turning to Jesus, the Roman Empire will respond with crushing and devastating violence. And they decide that it's time to have Jesus killed. And to put out a death warrant on Lazarus as well. And so suddenly we realize, my goodness, Martha and Mary and Lazarus are hosting this meal tonight at incredible risk. And in bold resistance to so the religious and political powers that are now co- conspiring to have Jesus killed. And it's at this point that no one notices when Mary now quietly disappears from the room and returns carrying a small alabaster flask in her two-cupped hands. It's actually the sound of glass breaking, beginning to crack, that suddenly brings all of their talking, all of their chewing to a halt. And they all now watch as Mary, with careful deliberation, slowly breaks the long, narrow neck of the flask in her hands. And suddenly the fragrance of faraway blossoming flowers floods the room. It's the exquisite scent of nard made from a pink flower that only grows above 10,000 feet in the Himalayan mountains 3,000 miles away. And in Jerusalem, traveling merchants sell this precious ointment in small flasks for 300 coins, a whole year's wages. Kneeling at Jesus' feet, Mary now anoints them with an extravagant flow of amber-colored oil and slowly massages the ointment into Jesus' parched and calloused souls. Feet that for three long years have been walking the dusty roads of Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. And so deeply touched, Jesus tilts back His head, closes His eyes, and takes in a long, grateful breath. And then as the disciples' stunned silence deepens, Mary scandalously takes off her headscarf in front of all these men gathers her long, gorgeous hair to one side and now uses it to slowly and gently wipe her rabbi's feet. Tell me, if Jesus had just raised your brother from the dead, saving you and Mary from certain destitution in that culture, then what on earth are a year's wages in comparison? If Jesus has broken all propriety by scandalously teaching you, a woman, how to commune with God in prayer and helped you to see your infinite worth to God, then my goodness, what are 300 silver coins? If your sister Martha is one of the very first people to see clearly that in Jesus, God's long-expected Messiah has finally come, then why not be the one to anoint Him King just as they did long ago with Saul and David and Solomon? And tell me, if you sense that Jesus is about to face a terrible and brutal death, at the hands of the powers that be, then why not lovingly anoint His body now for burial? In the end, both Mary and Martha give their all to Jesus. They lean into hope. And they do what love requires. And, like, and unlike many others, they won't find themselves later on sighing and filled with regret. Ever felt that way? Sighing and filled with regret. No. They love Jesus with the same bold and lavish love with which He has loved them. And here we are, folks, 2,000 years still talking about it. Amen? 2,000 years, we're still talking about them and their faithfulness. In Isaiah 43 today, we hear the promise that even in the midst of our times of struggling and suffering and pain, God is mysteriously at work to bring renewal to our lives, to our church, and to our world. I am about to do a new thing, God says. Now it springs, it springs, it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Do you have eyes to see? Friends, we are now nearing the time when Jesus' body will be broken on the cross. And through this solidarity with all who suffer, the fragrance of God's forgiveness and love will be set loose in the world. And we are nearing Easter when God will raise Jesus and vindicate His life and His love and vindicate also the courage and resistance of faithful disciples like Mary and like Martha. And friends, in the same way, may we trust that our own acts, small acts of love for the vulnerable, for our groaning planet, for justice that all of these small things will not be wasted. May we lean into hope. Lean into hope. And trust that the love with which we do each of these little things in our workplace, our schools, our neighborhoods will be used by God in ways we cannot yet see or comprehend. Amen.